my son had a gift with technology. With reliable internet at home through the Internet Essentials Program, the world opened up. He's part of this next generation of young people who feel they can thrive. Through Project Up, Comcast is committing $1 billion to help open doors for the next generation with the connectivity and skills they need to build a future of unlimited possibilities. Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of The Only Podcast. I am your co-host, Austin Smith, joined, as always, by your other co-host, John Kirby, you can follow us on Twitter at ACSmith06 and at John underscore Kirby. And as always, follow the mothership at The Only Colors. Uh, it is February, oh gosh, 14th. 14th, as people are listening to this. So, um, you know, choose your own adventure. You decide what day it is. But With your lover, I yes, assume. Happy Valentine's Day to all of you Spartans out there. Um, and, you know, anybody else who's listening in, uh, I don't get it, but thank you for joining us. Just um, listen to our smooth voices yeah. in the background. <laughs> yes, these silky voices. Let us let us take you home here on Valentine's Day. Um, all right, enough of that. So, uh, we had a fun weekend. I had a great time. Yeah, I had an awesome time. Um, the whole town knows you had an awesome the, time, Austin. Yeah, Frank. Um, so uh, this past weekend, we were going to get into it you know, in depth here in just a minute, but Michigan State um, basketball had just an absolutely huge win at home against Purdue. Uh, Miles Bridges kind of having his signature Spartan, mm-hmm. Spartan moment today. A moment. Nailing a three to, to close it out and give Michigan State, I mean, its biggest, biggest win of the year so far. Um, but before we get into basketball, we are going to start with a little bit of football news. That's right. Um, it's been kind of crazy uh, this offseason. A handful of people, a handful of players have transferred. Seem Not all of them surprising, and I don't think this latest one is surprising at all. Um, but running back Madre London, the would-be redshirt senior. Is Mother London. Mama, as I used to scream mm-hmm. very loudly at my television, mm-hmm. um, is transferring. Uh, I think he is going to go play his fifth year elsewhere as a grad transfer, if I understand correctly. Um, had some big moments throughout his Spartan career, but uh, I think when LJ Scott kind of surprised everybody and said, hey, I'm coming back for my senior year, uh, he sort of closed the door on London ever becoming the starter, so it's it's not surprising. I, I don't think anybody would hold it against Madre for leaving. But, John, uh, I want to ask you, mm-hmm. do you have a, a lasting memory of Madre? Anytime you can take down uh, our arch rival, the mm-hmm. game-winning score, what turned out to be the game-winning score, got to look there. Yeah, I think that's a good place to start. I mean, everything else, I... That's the last thing I remember about that night. So yeah, so. <laughs> yeah the uh, the screen pass, the beautifully designed. Oh yeah, Dave Warner, fantastic offensive coordinator. I've always said that. Um, beautiful screen pass for a touchdown against Michigan right before the skies opened up. Uh, yeah, I think that's every probably everybody's lasting memory. So. He he had another uh, some other big plays throughout his career, but. Um, It'll be interesting to see where he ends up. I think he's still a productive player. I hope to see him land somewhere in the Power Five and get a, get a chance to to play. Um, hopefully, he doesn't go to the Big Twelve, and then he'll actually get some carries. Um, but it, what this does for Michigan State in the here and now is is pretty interesting moving forward. So obviously, you look at the depth chart and you see L.J. Scott up yep. at the top. 
It's good. Uh, yep. As starters go, that's a pretty good one, and a, uh, you, you feel good about that. But after that, um, who who's got next is a, really a valid question. Uh, there. Hey, you tell me. Well, there are a couple names. I think there are three names in the in the well, four names really in the hopper that um, you can expect one of them to emerge. There's the redshirt freshman Weston Bridges, who was a running back coming out of high school, who sat out last year with a torn ACL. Um, he actually tore his ACL in late in 2016, so he should be healthy at this point, but um, we'll see. Uh, you've got two incoming freshmen in Elijah Collins and Ladarius Jefferson, uh, both of whom... Mr. Football, I believe. Mr. Football, Ladarius Jefferson, yeah. So he's a really intriguing one. Um, he's 6'2", so he's a... He's a he's a big fella. Huh. Uh, I think he's one of those guys you just want to get the ball into his hands somehow. So it'll be interesting to see if he pans out as a, a running back and see if he you know gets into that playing group. But the one that excites me is my my big young boy uh, Connor Hayward. Connor, you know you saw a lot out of him on mostly on kickoff returns last year, but uh, I think it's fair to say that opposing defenses would not be super pumped. Gotta go low on him. Yeah, they wouldn't be super pumped if he became the backup. John, as you look around these these couple options, any of them jump out at you as something you'd like to like to see? You know, um, in an effort so you, it's it's hard to think two years down the line, but yeah. But you gotta think like, all right, well who's gonna be the guy of the future, right? That's maybe where you need to start. Right. And that may not be decided until quite a while but i think everyone that you mentioned is probably going to maybe not everyone but at least two of those guys are going to get a shot at being um the definitive number two because the old hot hand dies the day madre london lasts yeah and i don't hate that i think in a weird way this is a a blessing in disguise assuming lj scott can stay healthy um Mm -hmm. a bit of a blessing in disguise for msu's offense it's sort of like you said Kills the hot hand it's gone. out of hand, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, listen, LJ Scott it needs the ball. If Michigan State wants to succeed the way that they can and should next year, he's going to be a need to be a huge part of it. So, um, you know, it, it does make for that tricky depth situation, but I think you're right. Whoever wins that backup job uh, has a major leg up on being the starter in 2019. Yep. Um, this also makes for an interesting pitch on the – um, recruiting trail. I guess it doesn't necessarily change anything because Madre would have been gone anyways. But I think, uh, you know, it, it's it's interesting to think that Mark D'Antonio is out there probably talking to some big-name running backs. I know Jared Mangum of Cass Tech is one of them um, saying, hey, we don't even have a settled backup. Yeah. So not only are you selling starter, potentially starter carries, if none of these guys jumps up, you're selling backup carries too. So it'll be interesting to see how that uh, – well, I think the easiest way for a coach to decide is is who can protect our other most valuable yes. person. Yeah, whoever can block, I think you're probably right, would be the one. In, in that order. Yes. <laughs> so You want to play? Yeah. Block. Exactly. And everything else will fill in from there. So, you know, um, something to keep an eye on this fall, but i um, interested to see during spring. Uh, yeah. You know, if anything bubbles up. Um, well, the thing is... Uh, Jefferson and Collins, neither of them are early enrollees. So I would like to, I think Bridges and um, Bridges and Connor Hayward have a chance to establish themselves in, in that role early on. I mean, Collins and Jefferson. Collins and Jefferson are not. They're not. And then Hayward and who? Bridges. Bridges. Yeah, yeah, they have a chance to establish themselves as the starters in spring. Well, not starters, but getting a leg up going into fall. Got it. Well, um, I'm not, I, I hate to say that it's a bummer because I like Madre. Yeah, we all do. Um, we wish him well. But I hope that he gets, you know, the PT that he probably deserves. And, you know, if LJ, like we said, if a, a probably first day running back yeah. isn't in front of you, you're, you're, you're starting at almost any other yeah. place in the country. Go get one year of good film. And then all of a sudden you're this kid who had one good year and you don't have a lot of wear in your tires. And all of a sudden you're a pretty attractive draft option late. late. Ooh. So just saying, you can spin zone. Speaking of attractive uh, draft <laughs> options, we're adding a new section Yeah. to uh, the pod. And it's going to be called 
Rank them. Rank them. And uh, we're going to take a few things and we're going to do that. We're going to rank them. Today. <laughs> pretty straightforward name. Yeah, it's pretty complicated over here at The Only Podcast. We're going to rank uh, the best running backs of the D'Antonio era, D'Antonio era. Yes. I did the hard work for us, and there are only three to choose from. <laughs> yeah. Your choices are Le'Veon Bell, Javon Ringer, and Jeremy Langford. You got to rank them. Yeah. Well, I'm going to let you start. Okay. For me, um, you know, love the stats. For some reason, even though he's not uh, the best stat guy out of the three, I'm going Jeremy Langford. Yeah. yeah. I mean. When I say best stat guy, I mean usually total career. Right. But I mean, this guy, if we remember back to that beautiful Rose Bowl season, mm. consecutive 100-yard games, always seemed to have the back-breaking run to end games. Something about him breaking those tackles against Ohio State, I will never oh, forget. Oh, sends a chill down my spine. Behind him, I got to go the workhorse. Before the workhorse, Javon Ringer. <laughs> yes. We all know Le'Veon Bell got a majority of maybe all of the snaps at one point <laughs> at certain games in uh, his his year uh, as the feature back. But Javon Ringer was, I would argue, one of the main reasons outside of Kirk Cousins that really put Michigan State on the map. 100%. Nationally. Um, this was a guy that was touching the ball upwards of 40 times a game. Yeah, it was insane. Like, come on. I mean, he had a 300-yard game it, against uh, Florida, Florida Atlantic. Florida Atlantic. I mean. You know, Monsoon. Crazy game. That was I'm so weird that we remember that. I was at that game, Same. and I, my phone broke. That's why I remember that game. <laughs> Your brick phone broke. Yes, you know it, how bad yeah. it was. Oof. And then, uh, no disrespect to, obviously, the best in the NFL yes. of the three, um, Le'Veon Bell. Lay Bell. No disrespect to him in any way, but um, maybe it was just because his supporting cast wasn't as strong. Yeah. It, it well, hampered his, him. His great year came in the – Seven and six year. So I mean, down year by Michigan State standards right. for sure. And he was, I mean, that was the only year he got him. to be the guy. Yeah, and he got the ball almost. He every got the time. ball like four hundred times, <laughs> and everyone was okay with it. I, well, it was the only way Michigan State got <laughs> to, to move seven the ball. It was insane. So how about you? You got to rank. Okay, up. so I'm I'm only flip flopping two here. I'm going uh, Levy on third, just like you. Um, again, I he was. I think people. He was incredible. Don't get me wrong. He had some signature moments, you know, jumping over players. And, um, yeah, he was a really good running back the year before when he was splitting carries with Edwin Baker, too, Mm -hmm. and Larry Caper. I mean, Mm -hmm. he was a stud. Don't get me wrong. But I think his – he is clearly another player in the pros. Like, he just is – has got – he's got to a level I don't think anybody expected him to get to. I agree. Um. So I'm going to put him, if you're looking at it in a Michigan State vacuum, he is the third. My second is Langford. And I am openly, I've gone on this rant on Twitter like 10 times about how I think he gets lost in the pantheon of great Michigan State players, mm-hmm. like let alone running backs. I think he gets lost because his two seasons were mm-hmm. insane. They were. I mean, he averaged like 14, I think he averaged 1,400 yards and 20 touchdowns or something like that. Like it was bonkers. And like you said, he had those huge signature moments. He had that backbreaking Touchdown against Michigan late the one year. He had, you know, like you said, the, the run against uh, Ohio State. He had, yeah. you know, huge, guy, huge run against, you know, guy, in the Rose Bowl. He had a couple, you know, at least one touchdown. Like, he went from, like, nine carries career yeah. to back-to-back almost 1,600 yards from scrimmage. Right. It's insane. And he barely caught the ball. I mean, and right. you knew where they were going with the ball. And he was he was incredible. I mean, definition of a workhorse. Uh Although I think the guy who I'm putting number one, Javon Ringer, was like actually a workhorse. Like, mm-hmm. what Javon Ringer was able to do, I think when you compare him and Lankford, they're not all that dissimilar. Lankford had a little more shake to him. Yeah. Um, but Ringer did a lot more with, a, not a lot more, but he did more with less. Like, you can't even compare. Look at the offensive lines that those two guys ran behind. Yeah. And it, I bet. I bet if I asked you right now to name me one of the offensive linemen that ever blocked for Javon Ringer, you couldn't do it. I mean, seriously, I'm going to put you on the spot. Can you do it? I can't. See? That's what I thought. I've got like two, like Joel Foreman. That's okay, one. Sure. And then uh, Roland Martin and Jesse Miller, I think, were in there somewhere. But thing is, this dude played, I think he was a, the starter for three years, right? And yeah. Just, 
and he carried the ball over 300 times multiple seasons. It was just an absolute workhorse, and he had to be that for MSU to win the way they did. And like you said, he helped put this generation of Michigan State football on the map. Can, can, here, here's something that's kind of crazy. I believe uh, Javon Ringer averaged more carries per game his senior year than Le'Veon Bell did. See, that's insane. Bar- close, barely. But Javon Ringer is averaging 30 carries a game. 30 carries a game. <laughs> his senior that year. is unbelievable. And you, and the thing is, opposing defenses knew it was coming. It's not like they snuck those thirty carries in there somehow, like Trojan horse the other team. Like this, you knew what was coming. You were getting Javon Ringer and a lot of them, and uh, and he didn't really have much of. I mean, he had Jehu Kalkrick as his backup his junior year and split some carries with him along the way. Jehu Kalkrick, who was a bowling ball. <laughs> You're you're welcome. Um, but I, I would say Ringer between the three as a Michigan State player is is my number one. So that's rank them. It's a, good it's a fun game. We're going to get a little weirder with that Quick in question the for you, though. Sure. What does LJ Scott have to do to crack the top ah, three? Good question. Um, I think he has to have Can a, he? Yes, I think he can. Oh. I think he can. Okay. Be, but he has to have a big-time senior year. Because when you look at signature moments, he had his signature moment as a freshman already. That's awesome. Which, which is one of got not, that out of the way. One of the best moments <laughs> in Michigan State history with that drive against Iowa in the Big Ten championship game. Yep. Um, and when you look at the opportunity in front of him, like yeah, his you know his sophomore junior years probably didn't live up to any of these other guys we talked about. But um, you're talking about maybe the best running back in the Big Ten. You know, I'm sure there are other guys like Mike Weber who have something to say about that. But um, He's got a chance to be the focal point of a really good offense and a team that could win a, a lot. So I I think this team has to win a Big Ten championship, and he's got to go for you know thirteen hundred yards and ten touchdowns. But if he comes out and has that signature senior year, yeah, I think he you talk about him every bit the same way you talk about Le'Veon Bell. So um, to that point, if he does have that thirteen hundred and ten. That would put him as fourth all-time in rushing at Michigan State behind Javon. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, would pass him in touch, rushing touchdowns. Yeah, that's, that's all gets, I'm saying. Gets to have the conversation. That's all I'm saying. He, he's, he's a top five all-time if, he uh, if he's getting there. Not so. bad. <laughs> Not bad at all. Um, all right. Well, yeah, that was fun. Rank them. Other fun things that happened. Other fun things that have happened recently. I had a good time. And some might have called Saturday afternoon. A Perduzzi. hey And that noise you heard Austin we, was people clicking out. We, <laughs> we, I think you could say that Michigan State perdid it. Oh. oh, my God. I'm so sorry. Oh, me. Oh, Miles. What an ending. <laughs> we may have been texting about this before the show. Um, it was a good win. Michigan good, State great won, win. Uh, took down Purdue 68-65. to And in doing so, they uh, kept their... But what once were slim conference championship hopes alive, and now all of a sudden, in much better shape. Yeah. Uh, the remaining schedule looks manageable, and uh, looking at Ohio State to drop one. Yeah, and there's you know they've gone up to all the way to a twenty eight percent chance to win the conference. Is that correct? Right, approximately, depending. Roughly. Yeah. That's pretty good. From um, where it was. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. From where it was, it that's pretty darn good. But. Um, I mean, uh, let's talk about the actual before the moment details of the game. Before the signature moment that we all remember, mm-hmm. there's a lot of things that took place, mm-hmm. um, and I'll be the first to admit that I was a little confused with Izzo's tactic yeah. of letting House go. I have to agree, and I have to come clean that I made some suggestions. On the old Twitter.com. Tom doesn't have Twitter. Oh, thank God, because he wouldn't have no respect for me. Um, but I said, you know, put anybody but Schilling on Haas. And I think that was just nervous fan guy mm-hmm. talking. When you look at the way that that Izzo played Haas, it's weirdly genius. Um I mean, look, look, when you look at the box score, you see that Haas shot over 50% from the field, scored 25 points. And if you watch the game, he, he, he was accounted for 45% of Purdue's offense. Yeah. Uh, that's insane. That's a lot of usage. And he did it fairly efficiently. Fair, yeah. But what allowing him to eat did 
was it kept Purdue from doing a large part of what has made them so good this year. They're one of the best three. We talked about it last week. One of the best three-point shooting teams in the entire country. And on this night, they ended up only going six of 19 from deep. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not like they didn't get their opportunities. You know, Carson Edwards took seven threes. Matthias and Vincent Edwards each took five. Um, but they made a combined five. Well, <laughs> when you play like that, you are you are saying, well, let Haas go 50%. Yeah. But what we're doing is we're taking away any chance that role players like P.J. Thompson will come in and just win the game for them. Yeah. Who's a 46% three-point shooter and was completely limited, only attempting two shots in 34 minutes of yeah. play. That's considerable cons- that they don't have that much depth. They only played about seven guys in real minutes. Um, they threw in a couple uh Matt Harms and Ryan Klein played a little bit, but not a ton. I mean, mean, when you talk about neutralizing other threats, hey, hats off to Tom. Um, It's it's smart because, I mean, it's really just simple math. Would you rather let – this is one of the most efficient offensive teams in the country. Are you going to let them score twos easier or threes easier? I mean, listen, when you got four guys that shoot over 40% from deep and one guy who can just score a lot from the paint, I I think – in a weird way, because it wasn't well, because it wasn't Kenny Goins <laughs> guarding Isaac Haas this year. It was mm-hmm. it was you have to pick your poison with a team that's as good as Purdue, and that that's a good team. I can see why people are picking them to go really pretty far in the tournament. I think the difference between MSU and Purdue is that I, I'm not. I think Purdue is. I think we've seen the best Purdue teams already this year. Potentially. I'm not sure we've seen that with Michigan State, although I think from a couple of players in this game, you got pretty darn close. Yeah, I, I want to go back to uh, the the strategy that Izzo had. The only way that that works, though, is if you are so sure that you will be able to out-rebound yeah. those well. misses, that you can out-tough them, you can, and that your role players will show up. And we did out rebound them. Mm-hmm. Uh, our role players did show up. We saw Matt, oh, we saw man. Matt McQuaid show up in big spots and spots, pressure spots where mm-hmm. we were down by multiple possessions. Yeah, we saw Kenny Goins um, get meaningful minutes. We saw Schilling come in and do exactly what we needed him to do. Yeah, Schilling and, did a great job. And and I think it's important to to remember when we get upset about potentially our. Uh, maybe the shortcomings of some of our, our, our role players. Remember that you're comparing them to lottery picks and potentially some of the best Michigan State yeah. players of all time. And two, but that was those guys did, what they did on Saturday was the foundation of which Michigan State was built upon, which is toughness, be, just out big tending them. Yeah, We literally out much so. big tend them. Okay? Yeah. And I thought that was really important. And the only other way this works is if you trust you can be efficient enough on offense to get back all those. Well, and we had six turnovers. That's why this was able to work. I mean, Nick Ward and Jaron Jackson played a combined 24 minutes in this game. That's only four minutes more than Gavin Schilling played himself. Five minutes less than McQuaid and six minutes less than Kenny Goins. That, generally speaking, is a really bad recipe. Like about as uh, that gener- nat- that nine out of ten times spells mm-hmm. absolute disaster for Michigan State. Sure. But because of what Miles Bridges was able to do, going nine of fourteen from the field, two of four from deep, um, and hitting that huge three point three point shot at the end of the game, what McQuaid was able to do, which felt very personal, mm-hmm. it felt like he was just doing that in like right at me like when he dunked with two hands i was like oh i might as well have been standing underneath that basket you got dunked. i got crammed on which is fine (laughs) i will accept the cramming um however the most important player and we have said it time and time and time again this season cassius winston balled out in this game almost had a triple double 10 points 10 assists seven rebounds did have three turnovers but all things considered, you're not that mad about a three turnover day from your point guard who is playing 36 minutes yeah, in this game. Let's be clear. Three turnovers in 36 minutes isn't nearly as bad as three tur- turnovers in 25 minutes. Yes, it's it's actually significantly better. So uh, one thing to point out, not only did Winston have seven rebounds, that tied for the most on the team. 
Yeah, I mean, okay. he was he, he, was, he was huge in this game. He carried beyond miles. He did things that, you know, we needed him to do and will need him to continue to do to you, do what we hope happens. This do you season. know what else he did really well, which you have to give him a lot of credit for? And we said last week, this game would be decided by the point guards. Absolutely. And when Carson you, did and, well. And Carson, five of 15 from the field in 35 minutes, 14 points, two of seven from deep. When you talk about playing championship level defense yeah. against the best players. That's exactly what Cassius Winston did. And frankly, what he has not been able to do in other games against elite players in this game. Yeah. We've talked about typically against Michigan state, the opponent's best player goes bananas. True. That's Carson Edwards. Listen, Isaac Haas is a heck of a player. That's yeah. he's not their best player. Right. Their best player is Carson Edwards. Their second best player is Vince Edwards. Vince Edwards goes 3 of 11 on the night, 1 of 5 from 3. He did have 7 rebounds and 6 assists, but only scored 8 points. This guy's on the wooden watch list. Yeah, that's that's where you have issue as a Purdue fan, as you say. I need my biggest players, which are Carson, the Edwardses. Yeah. You need them to win you games. Yeah. And that's why Izzo said, hey, Isaac Haas should try and beat us. Right, and them combining for 22 points and 3 of 12 shooting from deep, that's just not going to get it done. But you again, you, you have to hand it to Bridges was matched up on Edwards for a lot of this game. Um, Winston was matched up on Carson Edwards for a lot of this game. And they really, some of it is by design. Yeah. But they, but it's not like Edward, the two Edwards didn't get their shots up. I mean, they went, they went eight for 26 from the field. They yeah, had they, plenty of opportunities, but they didn't really get many clean looks at all. They, they felt like a team that when they were hot, they all felt each other. And then yeah. when they weren't, things were falling apart a little bit. So yeah. hats off to uh, the home team advantage, uh, which plays such an integral role in college basketball. I want to talk about Winston's 10 assists. Um, that was... Awesome, and he has had more assists this season plenty of times. Not plenty, but three or four. But with those 10 assists, specifically in a conference game against the number three team in the nation, showed us when he's distributing the ball what we're capable of. And those 10 assists put him um, up to eighth in the MSU single season assists already and with how many games to go undetermined. Um, Five behind Travis Trice to get to seven. You're going to get some good names here as we climb this list. Yeah. I'm going to let you know. Additionally, also for funsies, uh, he is, he's 24th all-time Big Ten single-season assists already. That's impressive. Climbing up the list. And right now, Big Ten career, he's 77th all-time. That's nuts. Hasn't finished two years yet. He's pretty good. So uh, pretty, pretty good. So, um, yeah, I mean, all-around awesome game. Um I'm, I am excited to see if this Michigan State team that we saw can get even better. Agreed. And then there was Minnesota, which was not as good a game as Purdue was. Not from a competitive standpoint? No. Far from it. However, from a pure relaxation and enjoyment standpoint, that was uh game just ended a few minutes ago, and that was much more enjoyable. I could – there's nothing I could – I'm not even – Usually I look for reasons to get mad. Tough to find him in this one. Um, like my biggest gripe, seriously, is Connor George didn't get enough minutes. <laughs> I'm serious. I mean, at the end of the game, it was surprising to see Langford in there. But, you know, what What are you going to do? Um, let's start by trying to find some negatives here. Uh, Nick Ward, obviously, turning the ball over six times was not ideal. He looked clearly frustrated in the first half. Still finished with 13-9. and nine. And a block. Um, he's fine. <laughs> yeah, he's going to be fine. Um, Bridges Bridges coming way down from his big game well, um, with only five, five, and four assists. I know, but it's like, I mean, I I can't. We had eighty seven points. Yeah, it's, and the other NBA lottery pick dominated. There yeah, only no, so many basketball. You have to try to find like downsides somewhere just to like balance it all out. But yeah, I mean, Jaron Jackson may have had his. I think he looked like he was on another level from his competition, like the most that he has all season. And that includes all these other, like, you know, scrubby teams that Michigan State played in the non-con. I mean, he was just a, a whole nother animal in this game. Starts the Michigan State starts the game off by making their, their six 
Their first six made shots are all three. So a few of them belong to Jaron Jackson. That was cool. He ends the night 10 of 14 from the field, 5 of 8 from 3, 27 points, 6 rebounds, 3 assists, 3 blocks. Uh, John, you have a note on his historical block standing now. Oh, man. Well, he's moved up in the list now. He is currently sitting at ninth in MSU all-time blocks, chasing one Nick Ward, who is... (laughs) Who is still active, and I believe has two more than uh, than young Jaron does. So uh, next on the list is Nick Ward, and then at, uh, at seventh is one Matt Stegenga. Uh, Stegenga. Stegenga. Ninety-seven. So uh, a couple more games, and he's going to be touching a hundred, and that is <laughs> that's insane. That is awesome. Yeah, that's 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 frankly insane. Uh, the other cool thing uh, about this game was we had twenty-seven assists as a team. Yes. That was awesome. Indeed. And we are, you know, Michigan State already leads the country number one with uh, over 20 a game. This just bumped up the Ave a little bit. So hey, it's it's crazy. This, the things that this team is doing statistically are bananas. And there there's one I have to just eat some crow uh, because in the last five games, one of the things that jumped out at me again in this game is the role players just, you know, they got a lot of minutes, but they played pretty well. I thought Goins, again, was really solid. Schilling with eight rebounds. Tillman looked comfortable. Tum Tum made a desperation three, on which I think he's shooting probably 80% from the field. From desperation On his threes. desperation heaves. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's unbelievable. I believe that. Um, if he only shot with less than two seconds left on the shot clock, his numbers would be... That's the only time I want him to he'd shoot, be an all so Amer- that's fine. He'd be an All-American. That's the only time I'm okay with him taking it. So I have to eat some crow on Matt McQuaid. I have said many times over the last few years that I just didn't think he was very good. And? <laughs> and really, the numbers supported me in a lot of ways. Maybe, However, maybe not anymore. Over the last four or five games, I think he went three of, he had nine points tonight, went yeah. three of five from behind the line. Love it. Um, and I think he is shooting well. I think he was like 14 of his last 19 yes. over the last five games and is now shooting over 40% from the year from three. Um, if he can, if this is the real Matt McQuaid, which seems to be the guy that everybody's expecting, which isn't asking a lot. Mm-hmm. That's one of the reasons I get frustrated with McQuaid is because it's not like his role is expansive. He basically has to play reasonable defense and knock down a decent amount of open threes in that's all he needs to do to be a, a genuine difference maker. Mm-hmm. And he's doing it. And he's starting to do it. And, man, awesome. if, if you're going to get that type of scoring punch off of your bench and give you another legitimate guard that you can play if, A, Josh Langford's not going maybe on a certain night or um, just another guy you can bring in to make shots, it's, it's sort of hard to overstate how big of a deal that could end up being. It all looks good. I'm like I'm almost a little too. I, I hate when I start to get too confident. Like when I see well, too many well, good things. Yeah. <laughs> well, listen. There's. I. But let's talk about some overarching stuff from these last few games. First, Patino. Yeah. The seat's hot. That that team either quit on him, or he is the worst in game tactician i've ever seen i don't think his team is particularly locked in at this point He put in a two three zone down 30 yeah now i'm not saying that but just like why (laughs) like you know what i mean like what right for what why would you do that like just it's like and 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 the team that you decided to be like hey you know well we'll switch something up on is just destroying you from three and the only yeah. guy that can eat you up is a stretch four. Like, what are you yeah, doing, it's, dude? He's, uh, it's funny, we were talking about coaches that were on the hot seat and we talked, you know, earlier in the season we referenced Tim Miles. I don't think that's happening. They just got the 20 wins for the first time yeah. since I was four years old, which is a long time ago. Um, but now... I think he's probably safe, and you look around the rest of the Big Ten, I don't think there's many people in danger of getting moved, but I tell you what, Richard Pitino, is, that seat's got to be... Well, between... That's, the- got, that's a hot seat, man. That's yeah. This year is... First of all, Minnesota fans in general have like a pretty... Maybe you would even call it unrealistic expectation of what their athletic programs should be. They should have learned a valuable lesson after losing Tubby. Yeah. And oh. seeing what he's doing. Abs- yeah, absolutely. But now you... Uh, you know, 
based on a potentially unrealistic high expectations. And then this year, seemingly valid high expectations yeah. that li- almost literally could not be going anywhere. I understand they've had injuries, but not, not sub 500 end of year record injuries. Well, I do you have enough talent on that team this with, with a with a good coach? Yeah, and not it's like in a in a particularly deep conference. You should be expecting to be somewhere near the middle or upper middle of this pack. And so, uh, I, this is year five for Richard, which, if you can believe it, I believe no this way. is. I think this is his fifth season. It's, it's wow. Is that right? I don't know, but I'll look that up while we talk about how we're going into another disappointment. Uh, team this year yeah the next game northwestern northwestern who uh just lost in overtime to rutgers not very good not not great i will admit rutgers is a significantly improved and much more competitive team than a year ago don't care yeah 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 can't do that yeah from a guy whose team went to overtime against rutgers yeah not a good look no generally poor um the rack, as John described it while we were watching that game, got up to a six, though, in the sound scale. Rabid. You know, they always show, like, the sound meter. It might have been up into, like, the yellow. It was pretty <laughs> incredible. Um, but Steve Pickle, Pickel is doing a nice job at Rutgers. And, man, talk just... Is just he? You know what's crazy is, is you he? look around the... I mean, dude, it's <laughs> Rutgers basketball. Yes, I think he's doing... The fact he's is even... 13 and 15 a nice job? Comparatively to where they've been in the in the past, I actually think double digit wins is not that bad. So now they're second to last in the Big Ten as of hey, today. it again the, the, just that sounds bad, but then you think about the fact that it's it's Rutgers basketball. Well, they did for what it's worth just knock. I would say they knocked Northwestern off of their slim bubble hopes tonight. Yeah, I think that just about does it. Well, and they I mean they listen they took MSU to the to the wire twice. And they've they're at least competitive. I feel like that's a step forward for that program. Hey. But again, so the, your your point though is that, uh, you know, kind of in contrast to the way MSU responded to to winning a big game and handling a what could be a, an emotional game, it'll be interesting to see how Northwestern responds to you know pretty much having those postseason hopes. Dash. So it, it'll be an interesting response from them, and that's the next team that's up. That's on Saturday here. Um, I, I, not even in Chicago. Like it's at Allstate Arena, which is it, it's like the Palace if you're a Detroit yeah. area resident. Uh-huh. It's like you say, "Here we are, the Detroit Pistons," but it's not in Detroit at all. It's like forty minutes away. Yeah, that's, um, that's right. And Allstate Arena is is a similar thing here. It, it similar to the rack. In craziness. Yeah, I cannot imagine it's going to be a raucous crowd on Saturday. Actually, I would wager that it's going to be probably about 70 to 80% Michigan State fans. Especially because it's a weekend. Right, it's a weekend. Tons of Michigan State. Uh, huge Michigan State contingent here in the Chicago area. Um, you know, Northwestern, again, it's it's going to be tough for them to respond. I guess if they're going to get up for a game, it's probably going to be this one. But I think the difference between playing some of these teams that are towards the bottom of the conference at this point in the season versus the middle, you know, when Michigan state was struggling with Indiana's and Illinois and, you know, struggling to Iowa um, is probably that these guys kind of know their fate at this point a Mm -hmm. little bit. And you have to wonder how many of them are going to stay super hungry. Whereas Michigan state is now playing really motivated and um, they probably even feel a little disrespected after the, the things we've seen ranking-wise in the media, well, which yeah. we should talk about. Yeah, a little bracket talk. So uh, if you watched the uh, Minnesota game, Joe Lenardi hopped on, um, gave his two cents on uh, why Michigan State is a three-seed. <laughs> well, I can't even help but laugh at that, at that sentiment, just for the record. So um, I'm just going to address... John's going to be here to tell you why Michigan State's bad at basketball. <laughs> so uh, before I get mad at the problem, I'm going to try and understand it. So um, to be clear, just a quick 101 on quadrants, because you're going to hear that word a lot for the next uh, 30 days or so, I'm imagining. Um, in, a, as a, in a way to segment the 351 different uh, Division One teams, the NCAA committee has 
created team sheets which have profiles breaking up um, wins and losses or games in general into four quadrants. And they're saying that they want to reward away and neutral games a bit more than they do um, home games, which is fair on paper. And so to do that, they're saying that um, it should essentially be uh, that home games against the RPI 1 through 30 should be equal to neutral games against the RPI 1 through 50 and away games RPI 1 through 75, which back to on paper might be a really good way to segment things. But if you take all the games at face value, then you're essentially saying, um, and just for an, a quick example, uh, today that number a win at home against number one RPI um, Virginia would be equivalent to today's number 72 uh, RPI team Wyoming um, winning on the road where they play in Laramie. For uh, a little more context, Wyoming is 15 and nine and seven and five in the Mountain West. So you can see how those two games aren't necessarily equal. That's a very very nice way to put it. So, yeah, so with that thought, um, I'm, I'm okay with people segmenting things into these four different quadrants as long as the committee can, after they have separated and organized uh, them, they can actually apply an art to this science and start to say, okay, let's take a look at those wins and losses. What, where were they? What were they? When right. were they? Well, just applying a little bit of logic to the situation. Exactly. So, so two... I have two points, I guess, or two thoughts on the matter. The first is if you are making your largest factor in your decision-making process based off of the RPI, inherently your system is broken because it's already, I mean, the, the issues with the RPI have been well-documented over the past, I don't know, I mean, I feel like issues with that started cropping up five to six years ago. You've got plenty of other rating systems, including, I mean, you can even talk about the BPI as being like a, a yeah. at least a similar or even superior ranking system. And I don't like anything ESPN does. Talk about Ken Palm. Talk about, um, I mean, what's the Paga? Yeah, like KPI. his, yeah, the KPI. I mean, there are so many more. BPI is the worst example I could have started with. But there are so many better examples of um, things that you could be using over the, over the RPI. Um, so... The first system, that's just a statement, is that I, that inherently breaks your system. If they want to use this whole thing, this quadrant system, as a point among other points mm -hmm. that help them make their decisions, that's fine with me. I'm okay with that. Like, use, use as much information as is available to you, uh, as many different viewpoints as possible. But at the end of the day, like you said, you have to apply logic to this. You can't watch these games. You can't look at the margin of victory. You can't look at the schedule and realistically say that Michigan State's going to be the 11th best team in the country. Yeah. I just think there's there's an application of logic that goes with this. Now, statistics are, I mean, at this point, I think the problem is that Michigan State doesn't have a lot of big-time wins on their schedule due to a lack of strength within the conference. Mm -hmm. uh, Notre Dame falling off big time mm -hmm. and then a week non-conference schedule kind of outside of the North Carolinas and the Duke and losing two in conference, what could be really big wins. I think the Notre Dame example is a really good talking point when it comes to applying art to the science. Mm -hmm. Cause at that time that win probably looks not that good right now. Notre Dame is not a tournament team. Nope. I think they're like three and eight in conference or something really bad. Yeah. I don't even know if they're five hundred anymore. Well, they're fifteen and eleven. And okay. It's it's and for if you didn't know, uh, their all American candidate, uh, right, Bonzi Colson is all probably out for the year. Um, well, has been out since just after Michigan State plays him. Yeah, and but when I said probably, I mean he probably won't be coming back. Right. For at any point this season, so um, he was the lifeblood of that team. I mean, he's first team all American. Exactly. And they were a top five team when they came to Michigan State. Yeah, it wasn't a road win, but they came to Michigan State. Top five marquee matchup, and Michigan State beat the brakes off of them. Yeah. Now that game is going to get marginalized in this quadrant system because you're not allowing that perspective to have any type of weight in this argument. Like That's where you have to count on, and this is a scary proposal, but counting on the logic and the real-life application yeah. of, these, of these wins. 
I, I would state that I just want to all if if you ever find yourself in an argument and you're citing today's polls, well, that's this is a much more meta point. Then you're, you're right. Then you're flawed already because polls aren't necessarily a reflection on um, the actual rankings, and we can get into why. It's more of like a who's hot situation, and it doesn't mean that they're like so wrong it's egregious there are variances of wrong but it's hard to say who's quote right yeah you know so and that's why i think we're the most upset is because the ncaa tournament committee are the ones that are supposed to get it right right we'll see um you know we are 27 days 20 or 20 however many days out from this selection sunday look it's pretty simple michigan state you keep winning the games in front of you it will all work itself out, I promise you, because the teams in front of you, they ain't all going to keep winning. Yeah, and I think that's part of what set people off, too, is you look at the 10 teams that were ranked in front of MSU, there's not a lot of basketball powerhouses in that group. I mean, really, I think yeah. that's part of it, whether that's, I mean, that's clearly actually not the right way to be looking at it, but I, I know that was a factor in, in why some people got frustrated, um, understandably, and the fact that it came the day after MSU beat Purdue, who was still on the one line there, mm-hmm. and after Virginia lost to Virginia Tech this past weekend, um, Purdue lost twice this past week. So that is all that is that's definitely part of it. But your your larger point is absolutely right. A those not all ten of those teams are going to go undefeated from here on out. Whereas mm-hmm. Michigan State has a very good chance of do, not a very good chance, but had definitely has a chance at doing so. Um, and then again, the games are right in front of you, like. If you just take care of business, if Michigan State can take care of business the rest of the regular season, um, theoretically they should play three games in the Big Ten tournament if they were to at least go to the championship game. Mm-hmm. If everything breaks the way, if you know, if everything goes chalk, even if it doesn't go completely chalk, you're looking at two a chance to add two quality wins in the in the Big Ten championship. If you can come out of the the regular season and and Big Ten championship with over thirty wins, including a tournament title and you know late season quality wins over two of the top other four teams in the conference, I just think that it that committee is going to have a hard time leaving them off the one line. Yeah, I mean, pretty much regardless of what else happens. Sure, and so um, the committee, it's not like rocket science, right? But. And the committee members in the past have told us that. You know, they, they blind resume these things so there's no inherent bias, right? I'll tell you what, once all those blind resumes are ripped off the board and the MSU looks like egregiously off, there's going to be an eye test situation where someone's going to be like, guys, it's an Izzo team with 30 plus wins and two lottery picks. Right. P sure they're at yeah. least a two. This team deserves to be a yeah. two. So we'll I mean, get there when we get there. But if they lose, I mean, again, just as much as it's in front of them, they could screw it up too. Yep. I mean, like if they lose another game, yeah, they could be a three seed. But I think the bigger point, again, another point off of this is like what we know, I think as a fan base, pretty much more than anybody else, is the seed doesn't matter. Nope. The draw matters. Yep. Now, if you... If you're going to be a one seed in the bracket of death or the loaded bracket, would you rather be that or would you rather be a two or a three in an in what at least plays out on paper as an easier path? At the end of the day, Michigan State is going to be a supremely talented team if you know when they make the tournament. They're going to make the tournament. We can feel confident in saying that. You know, yeah, <laughs> that's for sure. You know, uh, Austin, we were talking about it while watching the Minnesota game, and we always watch our game with green and white glasses on, mm-hmm. and we never we rarely have the opportunity to say, um, I wonder what the other team is thinking. You know, like <laughs> when, when, you know, they throw out lineups that are like WTF lineups, like apparently we're moving away from. Yeah, I didn't see which is nice. Yeah. In the Minnesota game. happy with the rotation tonight. But um, I guess what I'm getting at is like, think about, just think about the other teams when Michigan State's in their bracket. In yeah. just in their region, but just I mean, imagine the draw in this last in this initial sixteen was Virginia was the number one and Michigan State was the number three. Imagine being a Virginia fan and seeing that. Would, I, I'd be furious. It's what well, it was I believe it had been Virginia, Cincinnati, um, uh, Michigan mm, State, and Tennessee. Right? Tennessee was in there somewhere. Something like that. So, I mean, like 
look, you can't. You got to think that Virginia fans are like anything but really that. anything. Literally anything but. <laughs> they might that. be more upset than Michigan State fans. Tr- yes, they're like the number one overall, and they were like, "Hate it, yeah, get it hate out." It. So, just keep in mind. The world is not against us. No. <laughs> the world is still all out in front of us, as a matter of fact. You have a chance to – Michigan State's got a chance to still do everything they wanted to do in the first place. That said, um, are there any games as we clean up the uh, the end of the Big Ten season? Uh, Michigan State has how many more? I think uh, three. Three more. And uh, we're still – we're only chasing one now. Yeah. Uh, but before we get to that one, are there any other games that you thought uh, just jump out at you? I'll name off Ohio State plays at Penn State Thursday, which Penn State already got him once. Mm-hmm. The only team to get him so far. And then Ohio State travels to Michigan on Sunday. Yeah, I mean, it, as you look at... Well, here's... Penn State has a chance... I mean, I think the game of the week is pretty obviously Michigan-Ohio State on mm-hmm. Sunday. Because yep. uh, that's huge for both teams. Yeah. Gives Michigan... Michigan if things go the wrong way for Michigan, they're going to get real bubbly real quick. There was a thing that no one wanted to hear. Yeah. Uh, but Michigan, now, granted, they have done nothing truly egregious so far. But Michigan does slips up uh, along the way. Even though they look safely in right now, they finish um, with Iowa at home. Should be a win. And then they play uh, Ohio State. Easily could lose that game. Uh, at Penn State. Easily could lose that game at Maryland. Easily could lose that. Yeah, game. those are three fifty-fifty games in in Ohio State. In the case of Ohio State, maybe less so. Um, so th- I think you know Iowa and Ohio State is a big week for Michigan, especially that Sunday matchup is 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 a huge deal. Uh, you know, Ohio State has to be looking in the rearview mirror a little bit. Right? Like, I mean, uh, you'd like to see. Well, you got to know that you're only up one game. I mean, that's not the. Hey, I would I would wonder if they think they're playing with house money. Uh, that's a good. Well, the, Chris Holtzman's a hell of a coach, so he yeah. hopefully he's got him thinking that way. If you're a Buckeye fan, you're you're hope they're thinking that way. But the other team that intrigues me this week is Penn State because they get um, well, they get Ohio State on Thursday at yeah. home, and then they go on the road to Purdue on Sunday. Talk they about- could do Michigan State some serious favors this week if they can get. Uh, frisky and they're on the bubble this is a chance for them to add one or two like huge res- huge resume builders especially in like a soft big 10 adding careful joe lenardi <laughs> saw did i say yeah you no can't. i didn't say weak he said soft that's yeah. what he is said. that what he said yeah. i thought he said weak mm-hmm. um well in a down big 10 adding wins over two of the top three teams is uh by the way with that lunardi stuff the, the conference is unquestionably down I don't yeah. get why Dan Dockich is just he, act, sounding insane. Well, it's hey, just, Dan. It's all he knows. So, yeah. like, it, whatever. But either way, I, Penn State uh, and there, Michigan both have some big games in front of them this week. You know, you'd like to think MSU, you know, on the road at Northwestern, a team that's usually pretty pretty pesky, but that's a game that they should win. Northwestern seems to have kind of folded up shop here towards the end of the season. But, you know. Chris, you, uh, yeah, I don't – Chris Collins is a hell of a coach. Um, I, I'm not they don't looking, do a lot that scares you. I'm just not looking past it, but I'm also not shaking in my boots maybe like I used to be against Northwest. Yeah, I mean, Vic Law, Scotty Lindsay, Brian McIntosh are all really solid, solid players. Player. It's solid perimeter. And, you know, if there's anything that can kill MSU, it's it's guys going nuts on the perimeter. Um, but, again, I just – you don't get too intimidated with what they bring to the to the front court. Yeah. I'm, um, other things around the con- conference to keep an eye on. Nebraska, um, you if you saw they were on, they had a soft eleven wins. Yeah. To Lenardi, hey, they they got they're on the outside looking in still. Yeah. Whether whether you know twenty one win season or whatever they have or not, um, they're at Illinois on Sunday. That is a game that would destroy them. Yeah, that'd be a if, bad loss if they lost that game. I mean, they are still in control of if they win the games that they should like a game at Illinois and then they play at home versus Indiana and then uh, home versus Penn state. Those are two games that you think to yourself. Listen, sorry, go ahead. No, you, they, they just need, they need to keep winning. If they go 14 and four in the big 10, mm-hmm. 
this is where I kind of get on the the Dan Dockish train of it's like I don't know how you keep a team that's yeah. fourteen and four in a Power Five conference. That's I, I mean, listen, I'm again, I'm not. I couldn't tell you historically if that's unprecedented or not, but that's I mean that you got a pretty strong case if you're Nebraska, especially if you can then go win two games in the Big Ten tournament. I mean, I mean they're let's put it this way: if they win uh, their last three games and even lose their first game of uh, the Big Ten tournament, they'll have they'll have a gripe, right? That a legitimate gripe. Yeah, they, they should be. So um, they but the, what they can't do is go and um, puke on themselves yeah. and lose at Illinois. So, yeah, a lot of fun stuff going on in the conference. Uh, there are some bubbly teams to keep an eye on, uh, Penn State and Nebraska being the highest of those. And uh, got to keep our eyes out, eyes out for the Buckeyes to take an L. Yeah, so uh, I'm not going to sit here and tell you to root for Michigan on Sunday. I would never do such a thing. Just root for those Nittany Lions. Just uh, maybe don't watch and just see what happens at the end. Well, Yeah, root for Penn State. Could happen. We'll yeah. do that. Um, so beyond the Big Ten, are there any um, – any teams you don't want to see in the NCAA tournament? I have a couple. So the the way I look at it is the team I never want to play in the tournament, and it's non-applicable this year, but is it, it's always a team like Louisville that mm-hmm. I know is going to press and that I know is going to try to steal the ball a yeah, lot. Nuisance. Yes. So um, I go back and forth on Virginia because I know they don't press, but they play that pesky turnover-prone type of – type of uh defense um from what we were talking about i believe it was cincinnati that forces a lot of turnovers every game so i'd like to avoid heavy turnover teams and i also the other team i'd like to avoid even though i'm not really intimidated by them they've lost seven of nine is oklahoma and that is strictly from a their best player is good enough to beat you in a single game never want that elimination type never want the steph curry treatment nope Absolutely not. But what about yours? Um, I'm. I hope I'm not getting too hipster with <laughs> these picks. But um, I'm gonna go Wichita State, and the reason I'm going with the Shockers is because they are really solid. They're a top 25 team, but they also moved conferences this year, and they've had a much harder schedule being in the American. And I think that's been good for them. Now they've had more losses because of that. Mm-hmm. I think that's okay. Um, remember, this is a Wichita State team that only a couple of years ago went undefeated and then ran into a really good Kentucky team in the second round yeah. and lost. Ugh, bad hard, draw. Bad draw. And hard to say, like, is this a team that maybe if they had a little tougher competition throughout the year, mm-hmm. would they have fared better? Who knows, right? That said, it's a really, really senior-laden team. A lot old team. They've been there before. They know the NCAA tournament. Not that Michigan State's terribly young. They're young. But they've been to the NCAA tournament. You just don't want to. For me, I don't want to run into a team like that. Because yeah, that's fair. Seniors in the postseason are not a fun are, group to play. But that's not only seniors, but seniors who have been there. Right. So it's not even like a senior team. Like in the, another hipster maybe pick is a College of Charleston. Really, really heavy, heavy senior team. Um, not a ton of experience as far as postseason, but man. You never want to play the senior-laden team. But like with Wichita State, I don't want to play a senior-laden team that um, has an experience and has won um, in the NCAA tournament. So No, that sounds my... bad. Is Anthony Early still at Wichita State? No, but Baker is. Ron Baker? Yeah. Yeah, no. See, the only reason I know that's not true is because I saw him get nearly decapitated in a Knicks game this year. <laughs> I just thought maybe... I would have believed it. Yeah. I know who is uh, the little guard. The kid who used to play Kansas is still there. Who's got like three strands of hair left? Oh my gosh. You know what I'm talking about. Connor something. He is balding. Um, Man, what is that guy's name? Well, um, he's still... You know who I'm talking about. Unfortunately, I know exactly who he's talking about. Yeah, he's got a a good shot from the outside. I've watched him. Connor Frankham? That's right. Yeah. See, I knew it was Connor. Nice job. Not better than our Connor. Nope. Connor George. All right, man. Well, it's been fun. I think uh, one... One uh, prop bet for you. Do you think with the next tournament committee's um, reveal, will Michigan State be above or below the 10.5? Above. I feel like this thing they put out was... Didn't test well. Yeah, well, A, it didn't (laughs) didn't go great. Uh, And I just don't see MSU losing. And, I mean, they should win the remainder of their regular season games fairly handily. 
and I know that's going to bite me in the ass for saying it, but um, I they should win those games. I can't imagine the top 10 teams all staying undefeated. I literally don't know if it's even possible because some of them might even play each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would just be shocked if another team came up and you know jumped MSU at some point. If they are, the things that happened in Philadelphia may look may look tame. <laughs> after the Super Bowl, <laughs> because you might have people climbing, climbing uh, light poles and burning stuff down, but um, it would be pretty funny Before, the, in the MSU Twitter streets, of course. Yeah, is what I'm referring exa- to. I was gonna say exactly. <laughs> so, all right, guys. Well, thanks for joining us. Um, as always, I have been Austin for John. This has been the only podcast, and we will holler at you guys next week. Thanks. See you. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, Just go to cars.com. It's magical. My son had a gift with technology. With reliable internet at home through the Internet Essentials Program, the world opened up. He's part of this next generation of young people who feel they can thrive. Through Project Up, Comcast is committing $1 billion to help open doors for the next generation with the connectivity and skills they need to build a future of unlimited possibilities. 